sorry. Wrestling All Style isn't here right now. Please enjoy the following podcast after the beep. Beep. <laughs> so, yeah, we're not here. This is pre recorded. Alex, how the bloody hell are you? Ah, yes. I am enjoying a week off from watching Raw, I guess. That is currently what I am doing. Yeah, no. Uh, Raw is war, but I suppose we'll be talking a bit about war games today, no doubt, blood and guts next week. Exactly. Um, very excited about blood and guts coming up. We've got a fair bit on our plates at the moment, so unfortunately no rap as per normal. But let's talk about some war games. Yeah, it is war games. So... When was probably the first time you watched War Games? First time I ever saw it was, oh god, okay, I believe it was a 1994 War Games match. So if you just scroll down and see 1994, yep, it was like <laughs> the most ridiculous one. But for some reason, I had a VHS tape of Fall Brawl 1994. Now, I remember the pay-per-view very well because Steve Austin lost the US title to Jim Duggan in eight seconds. <laughs> and I was, like, so happy because I loved Jim Duggan as a kid. But, yeah, I remember this match. Dusty Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes and the Nasty Boys defeating Terry Funk, Arn Anderson, Bunkhouse Buck and Colonel Robert Parker. <laughs> Um, what I remember specifically is Dusty Rhodes dressing up like a nasty boy for this war games. <laughs> and, and like, honestly, just, he just looked like Brian Nobbs without a mullet. <laughs> um, it really suited him. Uh, wow, that's pretty out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're going to do the little Google search. Um, yeah, so I don't remember the match too much. I just remember, like, what they looked like. I specifically remember, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I can see him. Nasty dream. <laughs> yeah, nasty dream. Um, Dustin didn't dress up like a nasty boy, thank goodness. But, yeah, Bunkhouse Buck and the whole... Colonel Parker's stud stable with Arn Anderson, Bunkhouse Buck, and yeah, um, the other one, I can't remember. Um, yeah, Terry Funk, oh my god, that's the other one, yeah. Like, that's a really talented crew right there, Terry Funk, Arn Anderson. Uh, yeah, that was my first memories, and like, as a kid, seeing like two rings and this one cage with a roof over it, like, covering the two rings. Like, that caught my imagination as a child. I thought it was cool as hell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The first time I probably saw this was probably, like, maybe the 97 one, if I saw it. The NWR against Horseman. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Where they killed the territory, brother. Um <laughs> Oh man, I didn't realise yeah, I didn't remember Conan and Buff Bagwell being in that match. Yeah, right. I could have sworn Scott Hall was in it, but he obviously wasn't. Um Nope. Ah <laughs> oh, man. Um yeah, so that was the night that they had Kurt Hennig turn on the four horsemen to join the NWO. Yeah, that was a tough one. But was let's that, talk. Go on. Was that when the NWO sort of jumped the shark that night? No, we're close to it, but we're not quite there. This was just after Arn Anderson announced his retirement. He gave his quote unquote spot to Kurt Hennig. Arn Anderson was under the impression that that meant that he actually was giving his spot in the Four Horsemen to Kurt Hennig. And Eric Bischoff said, yeah, yeah, Kurt Hennig's a Four Horseman now. He'll be the enforcer and all that. Only for Eric Bischoff to have been lying through his teeth to Arn Anderson. And, like, he never intended Kurt Hennig to stay in the Horseman. He just had to tell Arn Anderson that so Arn Anderson would agree to it. Ooh. Yeah, so Arn was under the impression that the four Horsemen were going to beat the NWO at War, war Games. And uh. <laughs> just, like, all the backstage drama. Um... Oh man. So yeah, that was that was a really cool build up to that one, but yeah, the match itself is lackluster. Oh man, you've got all these matches in front of me and there's so many interesting ones to talk about. Like you see in the first, I don't know, twenty or so, or like first dozen or so. Looks like a lot of the exact same names, the first 15 or so. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's your typical babyface team against the Horsemen. So it's usually some variation of Dusty, the Road Warriors, and another babyface against the Four Horsemen. Might be different incarnations of the Horsemen, but it's generally the Four Horsemen. Um, Yeah. So the first War Games match, let's talk about it. The Road Warriors, Pork and Animal versus, uh, with Nikita Koloff and Dusty Rhodes and Paul Ellering defeating the Four Horsemen, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Tully Blanchard and James J. Dillon. So this was part of this thing they were doing at the time. It wasn't a pay-per-view called The Great American Bash. It was a tour. So they did a tour called The Great American Bash for the month of July, where they did a fair few war games matches, like world title matches, all that sort of stuff. It was just like a nonstop everyday tour for the entire of July. Um, yeah, and, like, this is where the NWA is at its peak at the time. Like, the Horsemen's rolling. Like, 86 might have been the peak, but, like, they're still on a hot run here. And you got the Road Warriors, like, all 
yeah, just on fire. Dusty's on fire. The horsemen are on fire. Uh, lower on the card, you got the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express on fire. Like, you got so many stars in the NWA at the time. Um, yeah, so that Great American Bash Tour had a couple of War Games matches with the baby faces always beating the horsemen. The one consistent thread was... It was always Arn Anderson starting the match for the Four Horsemen, and that was always his role. And, man, I think it was James J. Dillon broke his, uh, separated his shoulder in the first War Games match. One of the Road Warriors, like, slammed him the wrong way because they didn't take into account the, the roof on the cage. It becomes a common thread when you talk about later years where there was a War Games match with Sid powerbombing Brian Pillman on his neck. Um, yeah, because Sid didn't realise how low the roof is in a War Games match. Um, yeah, so James J. Dillon got substituted out for the second War Games match and they had to bring in someone called The War Machine. Yeah. So you uh you've just put your mouse over the the person and you just found out who the war machine was. It was the big boss man under a hood. <laughs> they just pretty much created a gimmick out of thin air and made him the war machine. Like of course we'll go to war with the war machine. Uh just masked unnamed guy, basically. Uh, so yeah, that sort of continues the tradition. You get a fair few war games matches a year. So what you got four in '87. How many in '88? There, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, from five to fifteen, so that's eleven. Yeah, like, and every time they did one, it drew huge money. And you look at those, like, 5 to 15 there, it's pretty much the same lineups, like 5 to 9, uh, 5 to 8, and then 9 to 15 or whatever, the exact same matchups, almost. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's where Sting's in the mix. You got Lex Luger in there. Uh, Barry's in the Horseman now. Wyndham's in the Horseman now. So that's the ultimate version of the Four Horsemen. The best version. Flair, Anderson, Blanchard, Wyndham, and JJ. Then you got Dusty, Sting, Luger, and Nikita Koloff. Yeah. Uh, Steve Williams is in there from time to time. Maybe Nikita Koloff. Maybe um, they bring in anyone else. Dustin Rhodes occasionally. Yeah. Paul Ellering, like it's, yeah, just there's a rotating fourth or fifth to the babyface side. But man, these matches are just iconic. They're so cool, man. Like they've got a few of them on the network, a few of these house show ones on the network. They got the first ever one on the network. It's really worth checking out because these guys, like, these guys all end up a bloody mess. They, it, it really is a war. It looks legit in there. And the horsemen are just so great at that time. Man, I can't stress enough how good these matches are. 
let's have a look at some of the more different ones here. So yeah, you can stop there. Um, yeah, there you go. Sixteen. Look at the sixteenth one. It's a different sort of lineup. Yeah, two two tag teams against two tag teams. Yeah, you got two tag teams and a singles wrestler against a trios team and another tag team. So you got uh, Animal and Hawk, the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane, who had turned babyface at the time with Jim Cornette, and um, Steve Williams, Dr. Death, against the fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy. And the Samoan SWAT team, Fatu and Samu, the future Rikishi, the future Head Shrinkers. So that's a different one. Um, oh my God, I have no idea who the yellow dog is in 19 and 20 and 21. Let me no do idea. A, let me do a quick Google search. 18. Oh my uh, god. Yellow dog is Brian Pillman in a yellow mask. Okay. uh, So so that's um, Sting Luger, the yellow dog, Brian Pillman, and El Gigante against Barry Windham, Nikita Koloff, Kevin Sullivan, and One Man Gang. That sounds horrendous. Oh my god. Yeah, the John Gonzalez. Yeah. Yeah, about... I'm still waiting for them to stuck on a Raquel the Giant Gonzalez. Yeah, another wrestling family. Yeah. Um what about 18 the Horsemen against Sting, Pillman and Steiner Brothers? That's actually pretty good. What is Yeah, so Wrestle that's War. The... Wrestle War was a pay-per-view they had. So that is the one where Pillman got dropped on his head by Sid. And Larry Zabisco was not an official member of the Four Horsemen, but um, I believe Arn was injured at the time, so he was a replacement. And, yeah, yeah, this is like at the heart of the Flair Sting feud. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. It's actually a really good match. The Steiner brothers are like, just starting to make a good name for themselves at the moment too. Oh man. What that about... is that is the ultimate babyface team right there. You got Sting, the good looking, like jacked up muscle singles baby face. You got the Steiner brothers, the hard hitting, lovable babyface tag team with the bright colours, and then you got the high flying Brian Pillman. That is a hell of a babyface team. Yeah, what about number... Where was it? Um, Number 22, Sting, El Chiante, Barry Windham and the Yellow Dog defeat Kevin Sullivan, One Man Gan, Arn Anderson and Cactus Jack. Yeah, that's different. Uh, I think that was another house show, although I would love to have seen that one. Um, I don't think I've seen any matches of Cactus Jack in War Games, so I think he would be great to have in a War Games match, to be quite honest. 
Really? Oh, man. You put McFoley in a cage, you know it's going to be entertaining. Especially like 1992 McFoley or whatever. Yeah, so it must have been untelevised. So you, you can't even find any pictures of it. Uh, looks like there might be a brief clip, but not the whole whole match. No. Nah. Um, yeah, so continuing on there, we get sort of after the 91 but, house show tour, we get into uh, 92 and it just becomes this um, annual pay-per-view match. Yeah, let's talk about the 1992 thing because um, and let me just quickly pull it up. Because I'm pretty sure this one got one. Hang on. Uh, 1992. Sorry, humans. I'll get there. Yep. So, 1992 Wrestle War. Five stars from Dave Meltzer that war games match it is the dangerous alliance arn anderson bobby eaton steve austin larry zabisco and rick rude against sting's squadron of uh barry windham dustin rhodes nikita koloff ricky steamboat and sting look at how stacked that match is with talent yeah yeah austin anderson zabisco rude yeah, Eaton's another guy too that just was a sensational worker, just not a lot of pizzazz. Yeah, so um, what was the uh, the move here? They're going from sort of this May uh, pay-per-view and tour going on to one show, uh, one War Games a year uh, starting in 93 at Balbrawer in September. Yeah, I think they wanted to do a bit less of it because it must have, there must have been a fair bit of cost taking that thing on the road. Like, that's two rings you have to set up every night on the road. Yeah. Um, and just make it feel a bit more special and making it a pay per view attraction. It was a smart idea. Uh, obviously, an idea that, Ended up fizzling out, unfortunately, as you look at the the progress of this uh, gimmick. Like, that Fall Brawl 93 one. <laughs> like, yeah, just read out the babyface side on that. <laughs> Which side's the babyface? Uh, the Sting side's always the babyface side. Okay, so you have Sting, Davy Boy Smith, Dustin Rhodes and the Shockmaster defeating Sid Vicious, Vader and Harlem Heat, Kane and Cole? Yeah, that's Booker T and Stevie Ray's former names. Oh. Yes, Stevie Ray, that's gotta be Kane. (laughs) And Booker T, oh my. Yeah. Or, uh, what is it? Booker T, baby. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, so that is 
the match that culminated after the infamous Shockmaster debut. By the time they got to the match, poor old Fred Ottman, the Shockmaster, just wrestled under like a building helmet, like a builder's helmet, a construction helmet. And his whole gimmick was that he's clumsy. Oh. Yeah, so it fizzled out. But yeah, as you can tell by the players in that match, um, yeah, that is right around the time that the Shockmaster debuted. Yeah, debuts on Flair for the Gold. Yes, Flair for the Gold. Like, you got Bulldog there, fell on his bloody ass. Yeah, there you go. You can see that picture of him in the helmet. I like, oh my God. That is such different from, here's what's advertised. Here's what you receive off Wish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, poor old Uncle Fred. Uh, oh, well. He had a good good career. Yeah, he did. Um, um, I suppose yeah. we're moving into the, um, the sort of <laughs> Nitro era now. 95. Yeah. Well, 90... Um... 1995, we are in the dark ages of the war games. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is the Hulkamaniacs. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger and Sting against the Dungeon of Doom. Kamala, the Ugandan giant. The Shark. Shark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Meng. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. And your favorite wrestler of all time, the Zodiac. No. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Great idea. Terrible executions. Great idea. Terrible idea. Great idea. Terrible idea. <laughs> um, I do like Shark, though. Like, um, I've seen it before, and I've seen the OSW boys say it as well, how Shark um, has, like, big shark mouth across his belly that it like, sort of move as he walked. Yep. Yep. It is a fantastic gimmick. Hang on. Early 90s, uh, cheap, <laughs> cheap attire, but it works well. Uh, See, yeah. um, look at Skype. I've got... The shark action figure in my hand right now with his <laughs> shark belly. <laughs> it looks like uh, that blue part and the bottom part of the shark is uh, the bottom part of his top is what Donnie Mako's um, early ring shorts looked like. Yeah, we need a we need a good uh, John Tenter and Donnie Mako dream match. I know it can't happen on this planet now, but man. Oh, someone make a make a video game version of the two of them. Put it on YouTube. I'll watch it. Um, yeah. So from Dungeon of Doom, we enter NWO. Yeah. Here we go. Um, All right. Ninety ninety six, uh, Salem, uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina, NWO Hollywood Hogan. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and NWO Sting. Yeah. 
versus Lex Luger, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Sting. Yeah, so this was like when they were teasing, oh yeah, Sting's joined the NWO. See, the fourth man at the War Games is going to be Sting. But then out comes fake NWO Sting. But then out comes real Sting to join WCW. And then this is where it all starts for the Crow Sting thing because after the match, Sting... uh, Sting and Team WCW lose, and then Sting walks out on Team WCW because no one trusted or believed that he wasn't in the NWO. And that, and then the very next night on Nitro, he disappears. He says he's quitting, and then we start with the Crow Sting thing. Uh, um, so it was actually a good bit of storytelling, not... Definitely not the dark days of war games. At least this one match wasn't. Yeah, we get to sort of the, the last uh, traditional two-team war games match. September 97, Team NWO, Buff Bagwell, Kevin Nash, Sticks and Conan defeat the four horsemen, Chris Benoit, Steve McMichael, Ric Flair and Kurt Hanning. Yep. I mean, New Horseman, NWO being so hot at the time, right decision, but who's babyface here? Well, the Horsemen were the babyfaces at that time because they were standing up for tradition and the NWO were against it. Um, the problem here was... Uh, you made all the horsemen look like idiots because Kurt Hennig was... They were trying to recruit Kurt Hennig to be in the horsemen for months. And then Kurt Hennig's like, no, no, I don't want to be in it. And then eventually Arn Anderson retires. So then Kurt Hennig's, all right, I'll be in it. And then a week later, no, nah, I'm turning on you to join the NWO. So it makes all the horsemen look like complete idiots. Um, Yeah, and... Not only that, like, you couldn't even, like, have the Horsemen beat, like, one of the weaker versions of a Team NWO. Like, no offense to Conan, Six, and Buff Bagwell, but they weren't exactly booked like Goldbergs at this time. Yeah, it, it, it was dumb, and you could have still had them. Uh, beat the NWO and in post-match Kurt Hanning sort of pissed and starts taking out the horseman and turns on him. Yeah. Although the way they had Kurt Hanning turn on Ric Flair was really cool. Like he slammed the door on Ric Flair's head and it instantly busted open Ric Flair. It was exactly how Ric Flair... I was exactly how um, Michael Hayes turned on the Von Erichs in a match against Ric Flair in a steel cage all those years ago. So it was kind of full circle. But yeah, yeah. Um, not not the greatest one. Although there was a lot of hype to it. But let's talk about not the greatest. Let's move on to the next year. Uh, September 1998, Fall Brawl, Team WCW, DDP, Roddy Piper and The Warrior. One of these people I instantly associate with WCW. Oh, yeah. Taking on Team NWO Hollywood, Hollywood Hogan, 
Davey Wright and Brett Hart. Yeah. Oh. Taking on Team NWO Wolfpack, Kevin Nash, Lex Luger, and Sting. Yeah, even Lex Luger being in the Wolfpack was such a stupid fit. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> You you had Conan and Macho Man in their Wolfpack. At least if you put Kevin Nash with Macho and Conan, it looked like it makes sense in hindsight. Yeah. Um, do you have much to say about this match other than it wasn't good and three teams never work in a war games? Uh, it worked once, but it wasn't this time. Debatable, I'd say. Well, it cu- it worked as good as they could make it that other time. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, Wolfpack. Who is in the Wolfpack? The Wolfpack is Nash, Savage, Conan, Henning, Dusty nah. Rhodes. Nah. The, the, those were like an episode. Uh, Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. Rick Rude. Yeah, that was like an episode or two. Uh, Lex Luger. Yeah. Sting. Scott yep. Hall. And Disco Inferno. Yeah. Well, when you think of the NWO, you obviously think of Disco Inferno. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh man. Um yeah, this this was not good. Um I remember watching this at the time. I've watched it probably once since on the network. It was not good. No. And like, come on, Stevie Ray just does not fit in that match. To be fair, like you've got like eight people in that match that are genuine megastars and Stevie Ray. Sorry, Stevie. I do love Stevie Ray, but man, he sticks out like a sore thumb on that match. I suppose because I haven't asked, did you ever do a War Games in the first year of Fugs? I did, yes. Uh, we had that was where I stole, from, <laughs> I completely stole from the 97 War Games, and I had Edge turn on the Four Horsemen and join the NWO. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, you know that war games I hate? Oh, I'm going to do that all over again. What is wrong with me? Maybe you secretly love that war games. I like the idea of it. It just didn't execute well that time. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's time to talk about the final WCW war games. Oh, no. I don't understand what this was. It was Russo. Yeah, it really was. Uh, so it is September 4th, 2000. Kevin Nash, the WCW World Heavyweight Champion at the time, with Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, and the Harris Brothers, Don and Ron, defeating Booker T, Goldberg, Chronic, Brian Adams and Brian Clark, and Sting. And Kevin Nash retains the WCW World Heavyweight Championship yeah, so this wasn't a War Games match in my eyes. Because how many rings were there? There was one. 
How this many was ca- his... How many cages was there? There was three. three. <laughs> okay, but it was submit or surrender. Nah, it was uh, whoever got out of the cage first one. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. This was just... The most non-war games, war games match. Yeah. Like, I don't hate the triple cage gimmick. It, I think it could be done right. For uh, a title? The, maybe not for a title. Maybe if you wanted to have, like, a multi-man, um, like, money in the bank sort of, like, number one contendership opportunity thing, foreshadowing for Fugs year two. <clears throat> yeah but yeah um i think it could be done right but yeah that wasn't it man i mean the harris brothers disgusting chronic the tag team obviously amazing um (laughs) honestly like two pretty solid teams minus the harris brothers like nash jared and steiner yeah, hell yeah. Booker T, Goldberg, Sting, and Chronic, the tag team? Hell yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, even they can't polish a turd, mate. Yeah. Uh, so then we go. Uh, WCW's brought out in March of 2001. There's no more official war games. Uh, do you want to talk about WWE, the war games style match before war games? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, the 2002, they unveil this new match. It's in a uh, a still caged environment. <laughs> the Elimination Chamber. Yeah, I, I actually liked the Elimination Chamber gimmick at first. I thought it was pretty good. I think... Where they went wrong with it is when they made it its own pay-per-view and had two of them at pay-per-view and, you know, they only, they bring it out every February and they have the pay-per-view so they got to try to force people into it instead of using the gimmick as a way to enhance rivalries. Oh, Uh, yes. Speaking of every February, uh, somebody on Fugs had to do one in February. Yeah, I did a scaled-down version of it. Um, Oh, will it be released by the time this episode comes out? Because I don't want to give any spoilers. Perhaps. So that's enough of a tease. Go listen. Yeah, yeah, go listen to it. Um, But yeah, I drew out a twist. Yeah, yeah. War games. (laughs) Um, What about Impact's uh, Lethal Lockdown? Anything really to add there? I actually don't hate the lethal lockdown gimmick. It is essentially war games with one cage and one ring. And then once everyone's in there, they lower the roof on the cage, which I think is a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Uh, my, my biggest issue with it was they had a little like hole in the roof so people could climb out on top of the roof. So then what's the point of the roof? <laughs> Wasn't it one year we um two thousand nine when we watched it? It was like um yeah. AJ and Angle on the roof. Yeah, yeah. It was just well, 
what's the point in the roof if you can climb up onto the roof? Yeah, um, it is uh, puzzling, I guess. Yeah, good pay per view. Interesting. Yeah, that, that was a good one. Yeah, uh, that was very intriguing. So it was that year featured Team Jarrett, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Jeff Jarrett, and Samoa Joe defeat Team Angle, Booker T, Kevin Nash, Kurt Angle, and Scott Steiner with Charmel in Team Angle's corner. Yeah. I thought that was good. Um, yeah. I suppose uh, that's sort of the um, the major ones. MLW actually for a number of years owned the rights to uh, to the war games. Yeah, they did some good stuff with it, actually. They had, like, like a lot of ACW guys in it. Like, yeah, putting Sabu in a war games. Of, yeah, bloody oath. Go for it. Did you ever see ECW's Ultimate Jeopardy? No. No, uh, I, don't, I haven't even heard about this. So this was uh, um, in 94 uh, between Shane Douglas, Mr. Hughes, and public enemy Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge against a team of Terry Funk, Road Warrior Hawk, Kevin Sullivan, and Taz. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my god. That pay per view actually happened in the original ECW? Which one? Uh, keep reading on from the Ultimate Jeopardy thing that you just read out and then move to the next one. December to Dismember. Yeah, I didn't realize that that wasn't just a WWE ECW name, it was also an original ECW name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. So the ultimate Jeopardy match was uh, Tommy Dreamer, Public Enemy, and the Pitbulls defeating Raven, the Heavenly Bodies, Jimmy Del Rey, and Tom Pritchard, and the, the Eliminators. Uh, the Eliminators, uh, Barry Saturn, and John Cronus, and Stevie Richards by Pinfall. Yeah, right. Okay, I'm going to have to... Have a watch of an Ultimate Jeopardy match. I'm in, officially intrigued. Horrible yeah. name. <laughs> Horrible name. It sounds like a quiz show. Yes. Uh, who would know about that quiz show, Alex? Um, am I still on camera? <laughs> yes. Hello. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, I suppose we might as well preview. Blood and Guts, um, yeah, was supposed to happen last year. was supposed to be Inner Circle, Jericho, Santana, Ortiz, Hager, Guevara versus Elite, um, Omega, Hangman, Cody, uh, one of the Bucks, and the debuting Matt Hardy. Now, this didn't happen um, with Nick Jackson being injured uh, at all got it like um the go home was what the week of the pandemic. I uh, I think it was going to happen two weeks after the pandemic started. Like that was the original plan. So the Hardy it's... debut was two weeks out. Yeah. So yeah. I think they were going to do because it was going to be like a two week event. The first week wasn't going to have the blood and guts. 
uh, actual match, and then the second week... It's going to have, like, the parlay. Yeah, and I think that first week was when they were going to originally debut Brody Lee and it was going to be in, like, Rochester or whatever. And then the next week was going to be, what was it, New Jersey for the Blood and Guts match or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah so that didn't really uh, go through. Now, do you remember the uh, the rules to the uh, AEW War Games? I think it's... From my memory, it is exactly the original War Games rules. Yeah. I... No pinfall, no submission. It is... Uh, no pinfall, it is just submission or surrender. Why can I not spell today? Um... So, yeah, it is um, your traditional NWA steel cage, two rings, one cage. Uh, Rules are as follows. Two men enter the cage for one five-minute round. Then every two minutes, another participant enters. Match officially begins after all ten men have entered the cage. Winning team is determined by making the opponent uh, submit or surrender. Can't win by a pinfall can out or escape the cage. It's so good. It's yeah, so simple. Yeah, bloody oath. I hate the the NXT version of War Games. They got rid of the submission or surrender thing. You can win by pinfall. And they took the roof off the cage. Yeah, and it, if you're on top of the cage for whatever reason, and you fall out of the cage, you forfeit for your team. Yeah. Stupid. Um, that being said, however, I'm really excited for this match. Um, Inner Circle, same team as what was announced last year versus the Pinnacle. I think this so match will be better than what we would have gotten last year. Yeah, so it is FTR, Wardlow, MJF, Sean Spears with Tully Blanchard in their corner. Yeah, I'm keen. I'm so keen. Yeah. I, I hope is... Tully gets in there for a little bit. It'd be good. Yeah. It, I think it'll just be like really cool to just like have Tully in there for a little bit. Yeah, you you never know how much he can sort of um doing that, I guess. Like, if he can't really do too much, you don't really want to put him in for too long. No, but they just had him wrestle a match. He can go in there and take a bump. Yeah, that's true too, I suppose. Yeah, he can do the old JJ thing. JJ used to get it into the... sneak into the cage every now and then for the horseman when he wasn't actually in the match and he'd just come in and just get the crap beat out of him, do a blade job and leave. Yeah, um, I suppose we've already mentioned on our last week's wrap how we thought the match would go. Um, excited to see how this all turns out. But yeah, bloody nice. I suppose the only um, thing is we might as well touch on the NXT War Games. The, the first time they did it, it felt 
justified. Like, because we hadn't seen it in so long. The takeover was originally called Takeover Houston. And, like, even though it was three teams, it felt justified. Yeah. Um, the three team format didn't work in execution, but was good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it wasn't as bad as everyone thought. Um, I, I thought it was a really good one. I think probably because it had been so long since we saw one, that also helped that I was just happy to say it. Yeah. Uh, so it was Undisputed Era, Cole Fish O'Reilly taking on Sanity, Alexander Wolf, Eric Young, Killian Dane versus Authors of Pain, Aikerman and Razor with Roderick Strong and Paul Elring in Authors of Pain Corner. Yeah, um, I, th- I remember like getting goosebumps just seeing Paul Ellering staring at the War Games cage. Like, uh, so much history there. <laughs> like, he was in the first one. The following year uh, was Pete Dunn, Ricochet, and War Raiders, Hanson and Rowe. Oh, they've got different names now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, taking on Undisputed Era, Cole Fish, O'Reilly, and Strong. Yeah, I yeah, thought so joined. I thought this is the um the best war games they've done of the um NXT era. Yeah, that was a pretty good one. Uh yeah, I really did enjoy that one. Oh uh, yeah, that's where everyone had the war raider makeup on face paint. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, that was probably the best one. The following year saw the first women's war games match. So it is Team Rhea Ripley, uh, Rhea Ripley, Candice LeRae, Tegan Knox, Dakota Kai defeat Team Shayna Baszler, Shayna Baszler, Io Shirai, Bianca Belair, and Kaylee Ray. The thing is, uh, the heels have the advantage in this match. And Rhea's in, Candice is in. Next one to go um, from the babyface side is Dakota. And the refs let her out, and she's sort of slowly walking down the ramp, and she turns on Tegan. Big kick to Tegan. Attacks Tegan in the cage where he's going, what the hell are you doing? And Dakota's taken backstage, sort of probably kicked out of the building. Tegan's taken back to the doctors, probably sent to the hospital. So it's only Rhea and Candice, but they they win two against four. Yeah, like, oh, the baby faces made a comeback against the heels. But the thing was, they were the two who were in there the longest. It yeah. wasn't like um, Dakota and Tegan were the first two in it. Dakota turned on Tegan. And, like, before they got in the ring, like, Tegan was weighing on the outside, but Dakota sort of thing. And then Candace and Rhea had to come in late and fight off four fresh heels. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that one. Um, the men's match that year was Team Chumper, Tommaso Chumper, Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic, and Kevin Owens, who came back, taking on Undisputed Era again, Carl uh, Fish, O'Reilly, and Strong. Yeah, that this was the one I was tossing and turning might be my favourite. Yeah, I, I remember this being a really good match, but I enjoyed the, um, the uh, second year one a lot more. Yeah. Um, then we go to uh, 2020. This, of course, in the um, the PC, uh, no fans in attendance, saw 
the women's match, Team Candace, Cancel Road, Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez, and Tony Storm defeat Team Shotzi, Shotzi Blackheart, Amber Moon, Rhea Ripley, and Io Shirai. Yeah, um, didn't the babyfaces here have the advantage in this match? Yeah, that was so dumb. And then uh, the men's match later in the evening, the Undisputed Era, Adam Cole, Carl O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, and Bobby Fish as babyfaces against Pat McAfee, Pete Dunne, Danny Birch, and Oni Lorcan. And the heels had the advantage the whole match? Yeah. (laughs) I I don't see what the issue is with that. Like, the horsemen always had the advantage and always lost. Yeah. Um, I I actually really enjoyed that one. I know you didn't, but I enjoyed the Team McAfee thing. Yeah, in hindsight, it's it's okay. Um, <laughs> the two women's matches for me, there's just yeah, big loopholes in the booking. The the two against four is it's just so stupid because you would have had one fresh um heel coming in when it's still three against two. Yeah. Um the Candace Shotzi Blackheart one, I mean, in hindsight the right woman won in Raquel getting the pin over um EO to set up at a, a um title match, but it it's sort of short term was weird because you couldn't really you couldn't really see where all this was going. Yeah, that yeah. second second women's match was the better of the two. Yeah, I I really don't think they've put much thought into the women's war games matches. They've just thrown together a bunch of women because they want to have a women's war games match instead of having a reason for them to have a women's war game match. Like it. At least every year, there's been a relatively strong story for the men, but the women has just been a complete throw together because they want to have a women's one as well, and that's not the way to do things. If you don't have the right story for it, just don't do it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Baszler was the champ with Kaylee Reyes, the um, the UK champ. Yeah. He uh and Bianca were heel contenders at the time. Yeah. Dakota and Tegan made sense because they were teaming up. Candice was... um, A baby face. Baby face, and Rhea just come across from the UK. Yeah. Well, it does kind of make sense, that one. I think last year's one in particular was definitely a throw-together. Yeah, thrown-together going in worked well in execution um, minus the babyface team having the advantage the entire match. But I suppose you've got to do that once in a while so people will see that it won't always go that way. No. Um, no, you don't. Honest, <laughs> honestly, you don't. That's That was the entire long-running like sort of insider joke about War Games. Oh, I wonder who's going to win the coin toss this year. Oh, what do you know? The heels won again. Yeah. Yeah, um, just just be like, oh, 
The heels win it every time. Who cares? Like, it does not make sense for baby faces to have a numbers advantage on heels. Yeah. Ever. Ever. That's just ass backwards ring psychology. It's just stupid. Now, what do you think of, um, instead of a coin toss, this winner decides match? Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that either. Like, coin tosses are, are a bit passe. Like, having some matches and like, oh, yeah, the heels cheated to win the advantage. That makes more sense than, oh, it just happens to be the heels always luckily win coin tosses. Like, Ric Flair must be, like, undefeated in 100 coin tosses or something. Yeah, the trick is he slips the ref a double-sided coin, like double-headed coin. I think they... There was one year where they, like, proved that Jim Cornette uh, had a double-sided coin for, like, one of the War Games matches. (laughs) Yeah, it was a good little gimmick. Ah, well... I suppose from there we should uh, sign off for this little uh, bonus edition. We hope you enjoy uh, Blood and Guts tomorrow. You lucky bastards going to watch it live. We're here at work or on holidays. Ah, well. Alex, where can the good humans find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at FruityIsAlex. Search us up on Facebook at uh, search us up on Facebook, Wrestling Ozstyle with an AUS. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at WrestleOzStyle. And you can find Chris at. at I'm Chris Funder as well. You can go back and listen to the entire Wrestling Ozstyle archive for free on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, using the RSS feed for your podcast of choice, including Apple or the weekly wrestling wrap now available Wednesdays on YouTube. Nothing left to say, but good day, and we'll speak to you next time. Okay.